We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. Tell Sean Payton, keep talking that we're going to see him soon. You feel me? Back to the Budding Heads podcast from Ramstock Radio. I'm Steve Barrow. As always, I am here with Johnny Gomez. Uh, Johnny, it's a Sunday morning. We're getting this podcast a little off schedule. Listeners will have it probably tonight. At worst, early Monday. But uh, bright and early over here. Not even noon on the East Coast. So early riser for you today, huh? Yeah, a little bit early. But uh, I've been up since 4.30. So yeah, no worries there. Man, you got up before me. And I got three hours ahead of you. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, the reason we're getting this out to you guys early is Johnny was in the press at training camp yesterday, Rams-Chargers scrimmage. Uh, We're going to get into all of his thoughts from being there. We even got a couple player interviews for you. Joseph Noteboom and Daryl Henderson will be joining the show briefly today. Uh, But before we get into it, guys, we have a podcast for our podcast, Butting Heads, and uh, the whole Ramstalk Radio Network as a whole, we're, we're really excited and happy to be announced that the Rams, Rams Talk, all of our podcasts are joining the Big Heads Podcast Network. 
what this means is, you know, we're joining a larger podcast conglomerate, so to say. It's a big network of great podcasts over there with big heads. Uh, for you guys, nothing's probably going to change. All our podcasts are staying the same, same schedules, same hosts. But this is going to give us an opportunity to uh, just kind of team up with a, a bigger team, a bigger network, and help us grow and keep developing our content and get more advertising opportunities and the whatnot. So check them out. Uh, it's bigheadsmedia.com if you want to learn more about them and the partnership. But if you're here to talk about the Rams, that's what we're going to do now. Johnny, give us your quick hits on camp before we kind of get into the nitty-gritty. It was really hot. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it was it was beyond hot on on Saturday. Like uh, I was walking around, I was sweating, and I was kind of self conscious about it. But uh, then I was seeing like people that were you know less than half the size of me, you know, sweating too. So I felt a little bit better. <laughs> <laughs> but um, joking aside, um, one of the things I've noticed, particularly with the offense, is. They had like two type of days in the same day, uh, or rather two type of moments, I guess I should say. Like first off, they started off like a lackadaisical offense. They weren't gelling at all. There was it was actually really sloppy the first the first half of practice for the offense. It, it was a little disheartening because when you saw it, it was like, is this the same offense? And I. I'm not going to lie, I got a little worried because I was seeing, you know, they were treating this uh, practice or the scrimmage as as like real game. There was uh, referees there and everything, and they were, get, uh, the offensive line in particular, were getting flagged for certain things like false starts, holding penalties. It just was not good at all in the first half of practice. But then in the second half of practice, I don't know if, if, uh, you know, McVeigh was kind of yelling at him or something or, you know, but everything completely changed in the second half, at least with the, you know, the first unit. You know, Jared Goff was out there, you know, throwing, flinging the ball out there uh, to guys like Gerald Everett, uh, Robert Woods, Cooper Cup. You know, he was doing an excellent job out there. I'm like, is this the same guy? Like, it, it was really, really weird. And then... On top of that, you know, you had Todd Gurley in the mix, who was actually participating, albeit it wasn't like he was he wasn't playing the whole time. But was he limping? You know, he's switching off. Let him know. Was that was he limping? He was not limping, guys. He is not limping. That is one thing I wanted to be in very clear on, and and I I got this question a lot on Twitter while I was uh, tweeting out there. Is, uh, you know, was Todd Gurley looking okay? Was he limping? No, he was a full go. He looked like healthy Todd Gurley. Um, and, and I think some people are still speculating if he's hurt because he's not fully participating. Guys, even though it's a scrimmage, they still hit, you know. They they won't hit, you know, Jared Goff or anything like that because they don't hit quarterbacks. But, you know, the, the running backs, they get tackled. And they get tackled hard. And not just the running backs. Uh, wide receivers as well so you don't want to give Todd Gurley too much participation in a meaningless scrimmage it's not even preseason scrimmage guys so the fact that he isn't participating much really do not panic right 
I, that, that is my rant. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just I just wrote about this for Rams Wire too. Nothing that happens with Todd Gurley in the next month means anything. It means nothing. It is great to see him out there, but like if he's taken a lot of breaks, doesn't matter. He doesn't need it. He didn't play in the preseason last year, and he scored 21 touchdowns in 14 games. So, like you said, I'm not worried about Todd Gurley. Nobody should. Um, it, well, not nobody should worry, but nothing that happens in the next month should worry you with him. It's all par for course. The team has a plan. You would think they've been preparing for this for months. So, uh, don't look too into any of this Todd Gurley stuff, but feels great that he's out there, man. I mean, we, I think we can both agree on that. Oh, absolutely. It, it was, it's funny because you see them going up against the chargers in a scrimmage and it, it does seem like an actual game. Like the, the intensity was there. Both teams were taking this very, very seriously. And like I said, they, they were hitting, um, Gurley and, and they would have hit golf if they had the, uh, opportunity, but, uh, you know, no hits on golf, no hits on rivers. So there's that. Yeah. And it's the first, it's like the second day of August. So as it should be, no quarterback hits. Uh, let's, uh, let's dive into the offensive line a little bit. I want to get your thoughts, but before we do, Johnny, let's, let's hear your chat with Joseph Nopum. Here it is. I'm here with Joseph Nopum. He's uh, just completed uh, training camp for today. Mm-hmm. Let me uh, let me ask you, Joseph, how was it practicing against the, the Chargers today? Uh, you know, it, it's extremely good to go into our team right now because we don't, you know, you don't only see one and your own defense and go to a game. So we have these guys in the Raiders, so it's you know, we go into a game. We're gonna, I've seen plenty of defenses, so just good for the first game. The Chargers defense does definitely have one of the better defenses in the league, so it's definitely good practice. So. How do you feel going up against first-team defenses as a potential starter going into the season? Uh, you know, it's, it's tough, but like it's all good work. You know, I'm not, you know, I'm getting more used to guard, and it, it, you know, going against the best people in the world is the best way to do it. You know, you're here to go into the game; it's going to be easy. So, very true, very true. So, are you transitioning well to guard? Do you still prefer tackle? Uh, right now, I think I'm comfortable with both. You know, I prepared all last year at every position, so. You know, just kind of any position I go, I could really feel comfortable with it. Fair enough, fair yeah. enough. All right, one last question for you, and I'll let you go. Uh, do you enjoy the Cali lifestyle, the SoCal lifestyle, or do you, what do you think, man? Are you feeling back uh, more in the Texas area? I don't hate it. I don't love it. I definitely go back to Texas, but it's just like the, the prices and all that and the traffic. But <laughs> other than that, it's good. I kind of figured traffic would come up. Yeah. Uh, well, we, we're looking forward to what you progress uh, as the season goes on. Man. Right, Thank it. you for your time, Joseph. All right, so obviously No Boom is excited to be here, uh, except for the traffic part of Los Angeles. But, Johnny, give me what you saw uh, from the day on No Boom and the offensive line as a whole. Obviously, it's a little different looking than it was last year. Yeah, and I, and I think that's what it is to – because um, if you listen to Sean McVay's uh, press conference interview, he was basically saying that he was what what I was saying, basically, that he wasn't really happy with the offense as a whole um, throughout the whole day. But they did finish strong. And that's what he that's what he likes. You know, he likes seeing that uh, them coming back from struggling because that means the efforts being put in there. So for me. 
it, it was important to see the offensive line in particular finish on a strong note because, like I said, in the beginning, they weren't as cohesive, and you're going to have those growing pains along the way. You know, replacing two starting offensive linemen, and especially, you know, in, to the caliber of Roger Saffold, is not going to be easy. And these are two very young guys in Boom and uh, Brian Allen. So uh, I have to say I was impressed towards the end because the end, they they looked they look seamless. Like it, I was wondering like, why didn't they play like this to begin with? They, they really did hold their own. They gave Jared Goff plenty of time to throw the ball, you know, had opportunities for, for uh, Malcolm Brown to get in, uh, get through holes. So if, if the offense plays exactly how they were playing in the latter half of practice, I'm thinking that the Rams will be all right. But if they play anything like the first half, could be a long season, Steve. We'll see. And I, it, it's a little rust. You got to shake it off. Um, it, we saw that even last year, opening week, we were we were in a tight game with the Raiders at halftime, and we ended up blowing them out. So I I trust the process here, as as we all know, and I I I'll let them I let them work it in. I do want to say. I don't want to see many of the starters in the preseason at all, for the most part, but I think Note Boom and Allen should be playing in the preseason, especially Note Boom, just because he's at a new position and it's not his normal position. You know, he's he's historically a tackle, but uh, he's a versatile lineman, and if the coaching staff is competent, he can play a guard. We should be cautiously optimistic about that, but I think he could use the reps in the preseason. You know, as he mentioned in. As interview, it's not it. You got to get better by playing against the best, best of the best. So, uh, not that the preseason is the best of the best, but just to get some reps against uh, some of the best athletes in the world is, I'm sure, would help. And then for Allen, you got you got to imagine snapping in game reps to an actual quarterback, which really hasn't done much in his career because Sean Mannion is not an actual quarterback. If you get him some reps with Bortles, let him let him get some rapport I guess even though ideally it won't matter in the regular season but Bortles is a guy who's been a starter in the NFL for years Uh, I think having Allen get some reps with him before he goes in with Goff would be really beneficial I think too Blake Bortles would appreciate having both Allen and and uh no protecting (laughs) you know I I think it, it really would uh make him happy but um Overall, like uh, the the funny thing, and when I was conducting the interview with uh, with Noteboom, he is every, the epitome of what you would, you know, kind of consider a gentle giant. Because before I got to the interview, he was signing autographs with uh, with kids. It was family day at the uh, at the training camp, so some of the kids got to go in and get autographs from players. Noteboom being one of them. And, you know, the, have this massive, tall guy, you know, signing autographs for these kids. And then in the interview, I, I know you guys can hear, um, he, he's very soft-spoken. Like, when I, was, when I was interviewing him, I was like, wow. I, I actually had to get in closer a little bit because uh, <laughs> I kind of was nervous about that, too. I'm like, I don't want to, like, shove my, my uh, recorder in his face or anything. But... Um, yeah, he, he's very soft-spoken and definitely humble. So 
Um, I, I have to say, I think he has the right attitude, and I think overall he he's gonna be okay. He's gonna have like some growing pains, like I said, but uh, I, I think he'll be okay. Yeah, I'm cautiously optimistic about it, and you know, I forgot to preface this before the interview, guys. As always, when we get boots on the ground, Magic Johnny interviews, uh, he can't regulate the sound quality there. So I actually think the both of these came out pretty good, but obviously uh, you're not going to be hearing crisp, pristine quality from in-person, on-the-ground interviews. So just to preface, we are going to get to our other venue with Rams rookie running back Daryl Henderson and talk a little bit about the second team offense. But before we do, guys, if you want to learn more about the old days in the heat in Los Angeles when football was running the town, you got to check out Jim Hawk's book, Hollywood's team, Grit, Glamour, and the 1950s Los Angeles Rams. This is a book that tells the story of the 1950s Rams through the lens of Jim's dad, John, who was an offensive lineman for the team from 1953 to 1957. It's a son's story about his father and the team he played for in the era of glitz, glamour, and future Hall of Famers. You're going to learn about guys like Norm Van Brocklin, Tom Fears, Crazy Legs Hirsch, Les Richter, Bob Waterfield, just to name a few of the, the great players and the great history that you're going to pick up from this book, not just about the Rams, but the city as a whole and just, you know, a family lifestyle in the 50s like we learn about with the Hawks. If you want to grab Hawks book, you can find it online at hollywoodsteam.com. You can follow it on Twitter at hollywoodsteam. It's available in both hardback and electronic form at Amazon and Barnes and & Nobles. It's available through various other booksellers on the internet as well. And, of course, the paperback if you're holding out for that, it's coming next month finally. Guys, Johnny and I have both read this book. It's worth every penny for any Rams fan out there. But it's also just a great story about a person's father and the legacy he left behind. Again, guys, trust me. Hollywood's team, Grit, Glamour, and the 1950s Los Angeles Rams by Jim Hawk. It is well worth your time. All right, Johnny. We talked a lot about Todd Gurley. Talked a little bit about Malcolm Brown. Haven't talked a lot about Daryl Henderson yet, but... You actually got to sit down and chat with Henderson briefly at camp, so let's hear it now. Let's hear Johnny's chat with Daryl Henderson. So, Daryl, how was the practice today against the Chargers exactly? I mean, it's, it was good. Um, we uh, got to finally go against another opponent, and um, I think we, go, we came out here and did a good job. And, uh, it's, al- it's always good to go against another team. You get tired of beating up on your own teammates, so you get a chance to hit the opponent. So. It's, uh, it was pretty good. Okay. Uh, how's it like playing behind Todd Gurley? I mean, he's good. Uh, Todd, he's a great leader, also a great guy. And, um, he helping, um, helping me learn his offense. Also, you got Malcolm Brown, you got John Kelly, you got Justin Davis. They all taking me in. They all helping me learn his offense because at one point in time, they had to go through it, so they making sure that they helping me get through it. Fair enough, fair enough. So, uh, how has the transition from uh, coming from college to the pros come, been for you so far? I mean, it's a big transition, but it's also just a mindset. You got to get your mind right, and also you got to stay humble because if not, this game humble you. So you got to come out and go hard each and every play. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right, last question. I know you're kind of walking out a little bit, so my, my apologies. Um, but uh, how's the, how you've been adjusting to the Cali lifestyle? I mean, it's, it's pretty good, but like I told everybody, else, I ain't coming here to enjoy this life, so I came here to play football and make sure that I'm getting my job done. Well, thank you for your time. I really, really appreciate it, sir. All right, great to hear Henderson is in L.A. to play football and not 
mingle in an era or in a city filled with great glamour and maybe some future Hall of Famers. <laughs> yeah, um, it, it's funny because when you when you talk with Henderson, he's uh, he's more focused, and obviously that's something you want in a football player. You know, he he's on he's there to do one thing, and that's you know play football. He's learning everything he is. He wants to you know learn from you know guys like Todd Gurley, and he's not even you know he's not even just learning from Gurley. He's even mentioned you know wanting to learn from guys like John Kelly, who, you know, was a rookie last year. So that's, that's good. That's good to hear. You know, this, this is a type of player that you want on any team really. So, uh, I, I think he, he's going to have, um, a very important role on this team. And the funny thing is too, when, when talking with him, I've actually, um, you know, being a diehard UCLA fan, I met, uh, Maurice Jones drew, uh, when he was playing out in UCLA, and the way um, the way they're built, both Henderson and Drew, they're kind of similar. You know, they're both not so tall, not the shortest running back on the field, but they're not that tall. And you you could tell that they they have a lot of power uh, on in their body, and they both kind of have that you know serious mentality toward the game. You know, and and that's interesting because if he has you know even a little bit of the production that maurice jones drew had and maybe even better he's gonna have an excellent career I, i'm excited to see him and that's obviously a a very very nice comparison maurice jones drew uh, really good really good running back in his prime down there in jacksonville uh but let's let's talk about like what you saw on the field from henderson I'm assuming he was getting most of the work with the second team, no? I, I would love to know how he looked. Yeah, most of his production came in the in the second team offense. Uh, he did get a little bit of reps in the third, but most of it was in the second team because basically he was switching off with Malcolm Brown whenever Malcolm Brown was stepping in with the first team and uh, um, with, with Todd Gurley. And Brown would come in occasionally in the second team also. But um, with with Henderson in particular, he he looked pretty solid out there. I mean, not perfect. There was a few times, uh, like uh, especially with with catching the ball. I, I I thought there was a few passes he could have, you know, caught. But I think I think part of it had to do with the Chargers' defense being as solid as they were, because uh, when he was catching some of the balls from um, Bortles. Some of those passes were a little bit forced because uh, the second team offensive line just simply wasn't doing as well as they should have. Uh, and again, one of the things about the the Chargers defense is they're pretty stacked, even in their even in their depth. They're they have a pretty good uh, defense, so it was a really good scrimmage to have because you know if you can get used to a, a a team like the Chargers defense, you're gonna um, you're gonna do solid against uh, some of the weaker defenses in the league. But still, as I mentioned, there's plenty of work to do, and trust me, Sean McVay is is very much aware that there's a lot to do uh, offensively. Yeah, look, it's the second team too, so we'll see when we get Henderson out there running. You know, even in the preseason or with some first team reps or. 
a pseudo first team or whatever we're going to end up seeing in the preseason because I'm sure we're not going to see everybody. But uh, I'm reading through your training camp scrimmage day recap. You can find it on rampstalk.net if you haven't read it. And Johnny, a, a name here that you said was a standout among the crowd uh, kind of might be the longest tenured player in NFL history to never do anything. That's Michael Thomas. Uh, if you don't know who we're talking about, not the Saints wide receiver, the Rams wide receiver who has been on the team for quite a few years as like the wide receiver six. But uh, I, clearly he must have impressed you a lot to get mentioned in this article now. Uh, well, I would definitely love to have the Saints Michael Thomas. Of course, that would cost an awful lot. But um, <laughs> but uh, the Rams Michael Thomas, he did amazing. Like he was making some really good acrobatic catches, and you know they these were some of these passes. Like I said, were were kind of forced because Bortles was pressured a lot, and uh, you know what. Uh, when he did actually have time to throw, you know, he Bortles was actually passing fairly well, but his favorite target, or at least one of them anyway, was was definitely Michael Thomas, and not just Thomas too, but Tyler Higby was a uh, was another target that Bortles favored heavily. So it's interesting. I I don't know if it was just because he, Thomas was going up against um, the Chargers second string second uh, secondary. Uh, but he was certainly one of the more impressive players on on the offense, at least with the second team unit for sure. And, and uh, hopefully, you know, he can actually bring this kind of production into the regular season because, like you said, man, he he always seems to do well in training camp in the preseason, but he never can seem to take it on to the regular season next level. I know, you know, you're, it doesn't help that the Rams have one of the best receiving cores in the league, but still, like, you you don't really see much of them in the regular season. Nah, and he, he was injured last year in, in his defense, but, I mean, even before that, we, we never heard from him. He was actually suspended for the first four games of the 2017 season. So a, a quiet career for Mike Thomas. Would it shock me if some of our listeners don't even know who this guy is, to be quite frank? Uh, but drafted in the sixth round, 2016, and has been not just like a practice squad player, like straight up been on the roster for the last four years. So kudos to him for keep making the team. And from what you're saying, he's probably going to make it again. Uh, you all know how I feel about Blake Bortles. Love having him. Uh, very excited to have a capable backup quarterback. So, no surprises there that he was hitting passes. You mentioned Tyler Higby, though. Was Everett getting the first team reps, or were they kind of splitting both? They were splitting, because even Everett got some uh, some production in the second team offense as well. But uh, I do think that, based on what I saw in this training camp, uh, I do think that Everett might be one of one of Goff's top targets, because... Uh, he was he was uh, favoring him a, a lot. Him and and of course you know Robert Woods. I uh, honestly I didn't see a whole lot of of uh, Brandon Cooks, but uh, keep in no, we mind don't need, that we don't need to. We don't need to see a lot no, of Brandon Cooks. We really don't. But um, but keep in mind also, um, I, it was only me out there, so 
I could only cover so much ground. Mm-hmm. So the, just uh, for reference, guys, there is a offensive field uh, for Rams offense, Chargers defense, and a defensive field for Rams defense, Chargers offense. So you're bas- you're basically watching two different scrimmages, and these are full size football fields. So if I want to go check out one one offense or one defense, I I have to go running back and forth, and it, it's a it's a lengthy process because of how it's situated. But um, you know, I could I could have missed some some of Brandon Cook's things, or maybe he didn't even participate at all. But I didn't see him at uh, much of him at all. Yeah, and to, to wrap up on Everett, um, before you know, you mentioned the defense. We got to talk about that a little bit. I you mentioned he's one of Goss' favorite targets. I'd be willing to bet, and like I have no proof of this. This is just kind of spitballing. I, I'm trying to like pull up research on it, but I would be willing to bet, like in terms of how much they are on the field versus like how often they were targeted based on their volume of snap count. I bet Everett would be one of the highest guys in the team because, like, he doesn't play that much. Uh, you look at it. You look at his snap counts from last season. He played thirty-seven percent of the offensive snaps. Uh, there was only two, three games that he played more than fifty percent, and it, he kind he had thirty-three catches for three twenty yards, three touchdowns. Now that's a lot, but relative to how much he was playing. Like, I think he was targeted a lot when he was on the field. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, uh, another thing I'd want, since we're talking about tight ends, uh, one of the things I wanted to point out, too, was I didn't see a whole lot of production, at least in the passing game anyway, from uh, any of the backups like Johnny Munt or anyone, really. So uh, I, I, I don't know if that means anything in particular, but it's something to look out for going into the preseason. Yeah, I mean, maybe they even enter the season with two tight ends. I don't think they would, but I wouldn't rule it out. Uh, to wrap up on this, like, Gerald Everett, he had that huge game against the Chiefs, three catches, 49 yards, two touchdowns. How much percentage of snaps do you think he played in that game? Uh, hard to say because, uh, again, I, it wasn't like I was watching the offense the entire time. So. Oh, no, I mean, I mean in the Chiefs game from last year. Like, if you were oh, to guess. Oh, the Chiefs game. Yeah. Okay. In the Chiefs game, hmm, I would say probably, I would say above 50%. 28%. Wow, really? Yeah, his, I know, I, I stand by my statement. You know, I'm not going to sit here and act like I backed it up with hard facts, but uh, for how, he didn't play that much last year, but he you remember a lot of plays that he made. So I, I think it's fair to say that Goff likes him. I would bet he's one of his favorite targets. He's just um still raw. It was the second season out of a small college. So I, I think McVay is still getting to trust him a little more. And, you know, obviously the way they used him last year benefited. Uh, they were the highest powered offense in the league. And Everett made a lot of big plays in, in limited time. So, I think we will see him poured in a little or mixed in a little more, but I I think it's very fair to say that Goff likes him. But let's flip around to the defense, Johnny. Just general thoughts or anything that stood out to you about the Rams defense during this day. 
You know, the funny thing is when uh, when I was covering the defensive side of the field, <laughs> uh, you were one of the first people I thought about because uh, in front of me, I, w- I got a good view of Marcus Peters just kind of, I-, I don't know if you could call it coaching, but he, in a way, it is kind of coaching because he's like pointing out some of the flaws of, of uh, you know, his teammates. But uh, <laughs> he's almost heckling some of uh, some of the defensive players, even some of the the offensive players too, uh, when they were you know warming up. It, it was it was kind of hilarious. I was thinking, man, Steve would have loved to have seen this. <laughs> That's my guy, your boy Marcus Peters. Love but uh, you, you know, the story of of uh, of the day for defense, it was all coverage, like. The coverage was just amazing, at, at least on, on the outside, you know, when you're going downfield. But uh, uh, when you're looking towards the middle of the field and the inside, it was really exposed. Like, it was borderline unsettling because one of the things was when when you had to, especially first-team defense out there going against uh, Chargers first-team offense, Early on, you know, Philip Rivers was, you know, trying to get his rhythm going and tried to throw, uh, try to throw some passes downfield, and he couldn't really get anything done. There was even a couple of uh, deflections, a few picks here and there. Um, there was a moment where Marcus Peters would have for surely had a pick six, but just through the fingertips. It, in his defense, it was kind of a uh, thrown a little bit above him. But uh, I, I bet uh, if Marcus Peters was able to get a hold of that football, he would have made a really interesting pick six. <laughs> but, um, yeah, coverage was really, really great. Uh, I could tell that Philip Rivers was getting frustrated out there. But then, of course, you know, you're going to have some adjustments in any game. So they saw that they couldn't throw the ball downfield, and they started doing things like screens did some slants, basically attacking, you know, um, where the linebackers are. And it was very clear that they that they couldn't do a whole lot. And um, one thing that really kind of just made me nervous was uh, they did um, some, some goal line plays, you know, just for practice. They didn't get there or anything like that. But Rivers, uh, you know, went uh, went and just did a real quick uh, quarterback sneak. Wasn't even touched. He was just there. And I'm just thinking to myself, that can't happen. That was way too easy. And well, if I, Phillip- to be fair here, who like it's imagine if somebody just came and popped Philip Rivers. Why are they running a QB sneak in week one at a practice? Well. Well, they they could uh, they could touch him, so like yeah, it, it'd be like a two hand touch rule. So now, if he got hit, I'm sure there would have been some uh, not only some flags or you know fines or whatever, but I'm sure there'd be some fists you know flying. But it, it just it it just kind of baffled me a little bit. And you're right, maybe it was just because they weren't expecting them to do a quarterback sneak. But when I was looking. When I was looking at him, it was kind of an easy decision because he just – there was nobody there. Like, and that can't happen at all. Mm -hmm. 
And you you touched on you were saying the coverage in between the hashes was terrible, right? I heard that right. That's correct. Like uh, basically, when you're when you're in midfield, like it, I I could see. Basically, long story short, if this continues, you can expect the Rams to struggle against tight ends and mobile quarterbacks again this year, or any, or basically any running backs that can get to the middle of the of the defense, because yeah, once you pass the defensive line, it was basically open season because the cornerbacks were doing their job and linebackers were trying but not succeeding. Yeah, that's that's a problem last year. Probably gonna be a problem this year. We didn't really do much to shore that up. We'll see how Taylor Rapp does. I, I would think he's gonna step in and play kind of like a pseudo linebacker safety role on passing downs, kind of like Marky Christian did, kind of like Mark Barron did for most of his career here. But you know, if you watch the Super Bowl, our defense was full clamps except in the middle with. Julian Edelman tearing us apart with Rob Gronkowski making big plays. That's clearly the weak length of this defense from a pass defense perspective. And you mentioned the running backs. Uh, obviously, guys like Alvin Kamara have been known to dice us up. So it's it's definitely concerning. Uh, but on, on the opposite, you know, to play devil's advocate, we're going against the Chargers. Um, this is a team with outside receiving threats as the core of their offense. Uh, Keenan Allen... Obviously, he's a stud. Mike Williams is a player who I think is going to really have a breakout season this year. You shut down those guys, you still feel pretty good, even if you're getting diced up a little over the middle. Uh, Hunter Henry is a pretty good tight end, so that's a little concerning. But I would I would be willing to guess that against um, teams that aren't so solidified on the outside, you'd see Marcus Peters and Aqib Tlaib work in a little more in the slot coverage than you would against a team like this because they got their hands full on the outside. But uh, like I mentioned, just look at the Super Bowl box score in a game where we really kind of held their offense pretty much the entire game, played great. Uh, Edelman and, and Gronk, two players at positions that we struggled, were basically the whole offense in terms of passing. Uh, Sonny Michelle did all right running the ball, but I wouldn't say that's why we lost. Not that the defense in general is why we lost at all, but uh, when Edelman and Gronk combined for 228 yards, that that says a lot about the middle, the guy that you're referring to, and that's definitely a concern heading into the season. Yeah, absolutely, and, and uh, I won't say that that the linebackers in general did terrible because there was some moments of of greatness. Uh, one of the things that caught my eye was. Clay Matthews wasn't in like the whole time, but when he was, he was all over the field. Like he he was moving like he was young again. It was definitely encouraging to see. And uh, I know this has been kind of like one of the main stories coming out of training camp, but to actually see it in person was was definitely comforting because this is. I mean, I I know we kind of see him as like kind of a band aid for this year, and I still kind of think that, but. So that's a really good band aid if if uh, <laughs> if he's gonna if he's gonna continue to play like that. Uh, I remember one play in particular where, man, like he was right there in front of Philip Rivers. If he was able to make contact, I think Rivers would have been out for the season. Like he was he was that 
he, he didn't re- he didn't even realize he was there until uh, he kind of tapped his shoulder. You know, again, you don't want to do contact, just just a little tap on the shoulder. And you mentioned we didn't see him much, and I think ideally we don't want to see him that much on defense if we can. I think him and Samson Abukam splitting, like even if it's like 50-50, I think Matthews, if he can be, if Abukam is good enough to where we can just use Clay as a situational pass rusher, I think he's going to have a hell of a season in that role because you know, he's going to have something to prove. I think he can still get to the quarterback well enough. Uh, he's not the player he was at all, but you throw him, you cut his snaps in half. He's fresh, he's motivated, and he's going to want to prove. He's going to want to make a statement every time he's on the field. So I think, I think he would be willing to do that. I don't know if it's going to be if it's going to work like that because I don't know how Abukam's going to be, but. I think he could really provide a big lift for the pass rush. Uh, you know, he's not a guy that's going to single-handedly turn around our defense, but like you mentioned, it's a, it's a pretty hefty band-aid if we're going to call him that. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> One thing uh, I wanted to point out too is kind of how well I've seen Bryce Hager playing. I mean, he wasn't perfect. There was still some mistakes I was seeing him do, but he's he was mostly with the first team uh defense and that's a little bit weird considering the the guy we were thinking was gonna get the opportunity would be micah kaiser but you know bryce hager has been a a guy that's been with the team for a while and here with the rams yeah he might be pulling away with this starting job if if this is any indication but uh, there's still a ways till the the regular season. But if if uh, Micah Kaiser can't make something happen and turn things around, I think this might be Bryce Hager's starting role. That would that would definitely be surprising, um, and it's definitely interesting to see him in there. I I don't think I've been as high as Micah Kaiser and everyone else, but it the way they've talked him up, it definitely felt like he was going to be the starter kind of unquestionably at that position. So that's definitely something we will keep an eye out during the preseason. And that's a definitely a good tidbit to add here. Uh, you got any final thoughts uh, on training camp before we wrap up? Uh, just one thing. And that was uh, particularly with the defensive line. They, they, uh, they were kind of experimenting, I will say, because there were, there was a lot of, there was a lot of, uh, moments where Aaron Donald wasn't, you know, going in, which is kind of good because you don't you you want to prepare everybody on the defense. So uh it was interesting seeing Brockers moving along the line. One thing I did notice is he wasn't getting a huge amount of penetration and that's a little unsettling because if you want to if you want to move him more in the interior He's going to have to be able to penetrate the offensive line before, uh, you know, just you can't just rely on Aaron Donald, in other words. But uh, one guy that they kind of rotated in and out was uh, uh, Sebastian Joseph Day. And I I have to say, I was really impressed with what I saw from him. Um, there, It wasn't a whole lot of plays, but there was a few plays, particularly where he was able to get to running backs in the backfield. And, you know, get tackles for losses. And that's impressive. So 
who knows? Maybe uh, Day might get the 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 nod at defensive tackle or at the nose spot because he was doing a, he was doing an excellent job, man. He's yeah. It's people think that he's going to be competing with uh, Greg Gaines for that nose tackle spot. That they're going to be the the primary guys fighting for that job. So it's definitely good to hear that he looks good. Um, it'd be much less surprising if he was an opening day starter than Bryce Hager. So that's it, awesome to hear that he was looking good. Uh, and <laughs> to close out on Hager, I just looked this up. Outside of the special teams unit, there are two players on the team that have been here longer than Bryce Hager, which is crazy. Uh, he's tied with a couple guys, Rob Havenstein, Todd Gurley, anyone that came in in 2015. But it's wild that he's been here for this long. So I'm going to guess that it's Greg Zerline and Johnny Hecker. Well, besides them, uh, Zerline, Hecker, and McQuaid are all the longest tenured players. McQuaid is actually the longest. but um, uh, That makes sense. Besides those guys, can you name the two? <sighs> the players um, that came in before 2015 when Hager and Gurley came in. I should know this, and it's bothering me. <sighs> you were just talking about one of them. The longest tenured player on the team. Wow, I'm drawing a blank here. Go ahead My, and tell me. Michael Brockers. Oh, duh. 2012, and then Aaron Donald, 2014. I I feel really stupid because I was literally just talking about both of them. <laughs> wow. Yeah, so but, uh, a crazy amount of turnover on this roster. Uh, we mentioned those two, the three special teamers. Then uh, the only guys that came in in 2015 on the team that are still here are Gurley, Havenstein, Malcolm Brown, and Bryce Hager. Uh, and then most of these guys, I mean, a couple guys came in 2016, but not a ton of them. Most of the guys have come here in the last three years. So uh, considering that we had the same GM since 2012, it's a lot of turnover. The coaches obviously changed, but uh, it's good to see that the unit is still chit churning, even better than it's ever been. Couldn't agree more. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, Johnny, hopefully you get back out to camp at some point and we talk more, but I think we're good to wrap it up here. Don't forget, uh, check out the Big Head Network at BigHeadNetwork.com if you haven't. And, of course, subscribe, five-star ratings, wherever you're getting your podcasts, uh, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher. If we're not somewhere you are, let us know, and we'll get there. And, of course, follow me on Twitter, at Steve Ribeiro, and follow Johnny at Johnny506, and Rams Talk at Talk Rams. For Johnny to Steve, we'll talk to you guys soon. Tell Sean Payton, keep talking that We're going to see him soon. You can't.
can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. The in-dash OLED display in the Cadillac Escalade has 38 total diagonal inches of color display. So why do we give it a curve, too? I guess you could say we like to bend the rules. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade. Never stop arriving. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.